Hello, this is Sydney Moon. And this is Beth. Welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and I will be continuing our Beach Party movie series this week with Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. What a ridiculous title. <laughs> you know that there's fun shenanigans to, to come with that one. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, this is Cole, and I am going to be putting a pause on my new Holidays Around the World series to talk about how I closed out my Christmas in July with the semi-horror, more comedy film, Santa's Slay, uh, which I watched with a couple of friends, and we had a, a jolly time <laughs> enjoying. So what holiday happenings do we have for the week? Well, I am doing more preparation. I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast. I don't recall, but um, some friends and I are planning a trip to Disney in September, just at the beginning of September, over Labor Day week. And that is an interesting, going through all the different rules and kind of regulations that Disney has in place for coming back to the parks, etiquette when you're at the parks, when to wear your masks... You actually gave me a brochure the other day, and there are places where you can take off your mask in Disney. There are kind of designated, like, breathing spots yeah. where you can go and take a breather. So they must be very open-air areas. Aren't they called, like, comfort stations or something like that? Um, they're called... They're not called comfort stations, I don't think. They're called... But they're called something else. Some, something similar to that. So that's very fun to navigate that. And NFL kickoff is on that Thursday... When I'll be at Epcot, and Epcot closes at 9, and kickoff is at 8.20, <laughs> so I have to decide if I want to just sit down on a bench, tell my friends to go enjoy themselves for 40 minutes while I watch the first part of the Thursday night Kansas City Chiefs and Houston Texans playoff rematch for the opening game. That should be a good game, so I probably won't miss that. Yeah, so there's a lot of differences. Even though we've been to the parks, Cole, you've been to the parks many times, the planning's different because of the virus. So fast passes aren't even available anymore. No, uh, so the lines are so short. Yeah, just because the capacity's so low. Right. So just a, a very different than normal trip for us. Right. Right, and it's cool because they said that you'll get to see, like, obviously meet and greets with characters are a no-no. But they have ways that you can see your favorite characters, like in, I believe, Animal Kingdom, they are, like, up in balloons, floating down the river. Oh, that might be a Magic Kingdom. No, they're, in Animal Kingdom, they're on boats. They're on boats, that's floating right. Floating down the river, yeah. yeah. Um, and they do, like, short itty-bitty parades, too, at Magic Kingdom. They right. did mention the something characters. about balloons. But, like, in Magic Kingdom, the princesses will go across the train... Mm-hmm. And okay. wave at everybody. The station, right. They have uh, some open fields with the fence be in front of it. And they'll have characters like Pooh Bear with a butterfly net. And he'll just be kind of running around back there. So you can still take a picture, like a selfie kind of with them, or a distance picture. But it can't get close to them. That's yeah. good. And Anastasia and Drusilla are up in Cinderella Castle. And they'll oh. be waving at people. That's and so funny. Comedic bits, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's fun. So, so a lot of different... And unique ways to experience it. Right. There may be some coronavirus-related merchandise. Maybe. I would be. It's going to be interesting to see what you find right. there. Right. 
Uh, and if there is some, I'll have to pick it up because that will be a once in a. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Hopefully. yeah. <laughs> yes, once. In pick a it up, meaning the time. merchandise, not coronavirus. Exactly. Right. We also watched a couple movies. One this past week and one the week before that were related to holidays. Uh, the first one we watched just briefly was uh, a movie called Remember the Night with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck from 1940. So this, uh, just a brief description, Lee Leander is a petty shoplifter on trial for swiping an expensive bracelet from a local jewelry store. When her trial is postponed until after New Year's, sympathetic assistant attorney John Sargent bails her out of jail. Together, they find themselves falling in love when he invites her to his family's home for the holidays where she discovers the warmth and love she's never had but always wanted. Yeah, it was so, cute. It was she is a Christmas pretty one. thief, too. Yeah. She's a petty thief, but she's a pretty thief. She is also a pretty thief. That's true. The second one, I Married a Witch, was released in 1942 with Veronica Lake and Frederick March. In this supernatural comedy, it follows a beautiful 17th century witch who returns to life to plague politician Wallace Woolley, a descendant of her persecutor. And they end up falling in love as well. So, right. yeah, fun, cute, uh, old movies from the yeah. 40s. Uh, but I thought it was interesting to watch and kind of see. Because you get to see kind of culturally what they talk about, what they wear, kind of how they celebrate the holidays too. Right. Um, kind of sometimes in the background of what's going on. Yeah. Even how they speak. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. Uh, the last holiday happening is we picked Beth's mom up from Pennsylvania yesterday for a week-long trip down here so we're visiting with her this week yeah we are visiting and we are staying at home because she's older and more at risk so we are not going out and about so we get about spending a lot of quality time inside with her right very different you know more no trips like we would try to do in the past of trying right. to accomplish some things go to museums or whatever right not this time not this time so uh switching to our first topic as we continue our beach party movie series uh, this is, you know, getting further and further away from the actual beach party. <laughs> but they keep trying to make movies that will catch on based on other movies that are popular at the time. This time it's Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, which is really based on a James Bond spoof meets beach party. That's kind of the idea. That's, I thought about that when I saw the title. It was yeah. like, oh, Goldfinger yes. is the, yeah. And Frankie Avalon is the main character once again. So, the movie goes something like this. He must be a great actor. He's in all of these different things. I know. As the film opens, we see numerous shots of San Francisco. We've soon seen a young brunette woman clad in a trench coat and fedora. She seems a tad overdressed for the weather, but stranger things than that happen to her. For instance, as she walks into the middle of a street, a car hits her, but it's the car that ends up falling apart. Two men attempt to leave the scene of a bank robbery... When they encounter the woman, they shoot at her, but she just keeps right on going. She doesn't, she's not affected by the bullets. Um, although then she goes to a small cafeteria, she drinks a glass of milk, and the liquid pours out from the bullet holes in her body in the trench coat. Right. So you can see the silliness still exists. <laughs> yes, right. I thought it was a very menacing and noir tone based on what you described, but continue. <laughs> It's in this cafeteria that she encounters a young man named Craig Gamble, who's played by Frankie Avalon. She thinks it's a guy that she's supposed to find named Todd Armstrong. Craig tries to deny that it's him, but she insists on going back to his place, which happens to be a small one-bedroom apartment. 
Then we switch scenes and we find ourselves inside the lair of Dr. Goldfoot, played by Vincent Price, and his assistant Igor. Goldfoot is incensed that this girl, who he then names Diane, has found the wrong person and that person is not Todd Armstrong. Dr. Goldfoot then orders the girl via like a, a um, walkie-talkie or something, who's also known as number 11, to get out of there. Switching back to the apartment, Craig watches number 11 or Diane's voice pitch completely change and just, she just immediately leaves the room, uh, leaving him kind of to wonder about what's happening. Right. So it was when a little he, robotic. When he first met her, she had like, like super southern oh my goodness such a thick twang to her yeah and then when this happened when dr goldfoot called her back she went to a more robotic kind of sound and and left immediately so diane then goes back to the street looking for todd armstrong she encounters the real one and she charms him and to uh go off to his place so we still don't know why that's what they're doing but that's kind of the, the path so craig who's played by frankie is obsessed with finding Diane, the girl that left his, his little apartment. So he calls directory assistance, but of course all he knows is her first name, Diane. So in that same scene, he's angrily called into the office of his uncle Donald. So we find out there that they both work for the Secret Intelligence Command, the SIC. So, sick. Yeah, sick. Exactly. <laughs> do they actually call it that? I don't think so. I think They, they do it in there at some point. Do they? Yeah. Okay. I didn't remember that. Because he said he's part of sick. <laughs> so Uncle Donald is upset with Craig's obsession with Diane. And as they're talking, you find out uh, what Craig's code number is. It's double O and a half. So he doesn't even have a whole digit. So his Uncle Donald demands that he's, he starts concentrating on his work with sick, SIC, and try to at least get to a single digit instead of a fraction <laughs> for a number. So meanwhile, back to Todd Armstrong and Diane, um, Diane, number 11, has conned Todd Armstrong into marrying her. And their wedding makes the cover of a magazine where Craig sees it and is heartbroken. Switching back to the lair of Dr. Goldfoot, uh, we see him begin sending out more girls, each programmed to do the same thing number 11 has done. Snare a rich husband, get him to sign over his fortune to them, and then Dr. Goldfoot will collect whatever the fortune is, stocks, bonds, whatever it may be, once the girls are through. So that is the main scheme Dr. Goldfoot has, is to collect cash from all these rich people using these girls that he's created. So in the wake of his marriage to number 11, Todd has given her, Diane, a large diamond ring, but they're not actually together for their honeymoon, their newlywed night. She sleeps like in a separate location, and she claims it's because her batteries were low which Todd just dismisses as ridiculous, but of course is actually true because she's a a robot, we find out. She then asks Todd for more wedding presents, requesting that he sign over several of his stocks and holdings to her, which he does. She immediately takes those forms, tells him to go to work, and leaves, leaving him kind of confused again as to what's going on. So she goes out on the street because she's walking back to the lair, and Craig sees Diane and, and attempts to talk to her, but she claims that she has no idea who he is. As he attempts to take her off the street, Dr. Goldfoot appears and tugs Diane into a car, leaving Craig sprawled on the sidewalk and still holding Diane's left hand. Because <laughs> he had grabbed onto her. Right, right. So in the car, Dr. Goldfoot is at first pleased that Diane got the stocks and bonds signed over, but then he finds out that 
even though they have some of those, he didn't sign over the power of attorney to her. That was one additional document she was supposed to get signed, and he didn't get signed. So Goldfoot then informs Diane that she'll have to be punished. Switching back to Craig. Craig runs back to his Uncle Donald and sick, but the uncle just assumes that his nephew is crazy. So remembering the name of the mortuary on the side of Goldfoot's car, Craig heads out there where he sees his assistant Igor disappearing into a coffin. Wait, why doesn't he show his uncle the hand? I'm thinking that too. Uh, he does, but ah. he just ignores it. Okay. <laughs> so Craig follows Igor into the coffin, and it, that's the entry point into the lair. Uh, and he sees Dr. Dr. Goldfoot's lair. He sees the bikini machine and kind of what's happening with how they create these girls. He sees Diane being tortured. Uh, so basically she's being punished didn't follow all the steps along the way. It, it was silly. It's like this, this, it's supposed to be electric things, Shock, yeah. but it's like this cartoony, like buzzing electric kind of thing yeah. over her. So it's supposed to hurt her as a robot. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was silly, but <laughs> it does sound silly. So Craig is quickly discovered in the lair. Igor discovers him, but he escapes. So then he goes running back to his uncle's office to tell him what he's seen. But again, uh, his uncle isn't interested in his claims that he's busy with uh, one of the SIC's head officers. Craig recognized that person not as a head officer, but actually as Igor in disguise. Mm. But the uncle and Igor claim he's nuts. So realizing that no one would believe him, Craig then goes to Diane's fiance or husband. Uh, husband, husband yeah, yeah. Todd. Todd naturally doesn't believe Craig's claim that Diane is a robot until Craig shows him Diane's severed hand, which still has the wedding band on it. So that's so Todd is like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, so now the two of them are now yeah. a team. They decide to team up, right? And they're pretty sure that Diane's going to return to try to get Todd to sign over the power of attorney because Craig had overheard that. So Craig hides in a secret room and Todd's, of course, Todd has a secret room in his apartment, of course, of course. as Todd awaits for Diane. Eventually, she appears, uh, making the chain lock on the door open without being touched. Like, she can, the door just basically, you could see the chain on the door kind of move, like, like magically. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then she goes and asks for, she goes into the apartment, asks for his signature for power of attorney. And whenever he tries to yell for Craig's help, she kisses him, which convinces him to sign. So, no sooner is he finished signing the form... Then she quickly leaves again, and she, in fact, literally disappears through the front door. Like, she magically walks through the front door without it, the door being open. She walks through the door. And, and Craig was telling him all the whole time, don't sign it. Yeah. Don't sign it. Go ahead. Right. So, uh, after all that happens, Craig feels bad that he didn't hear Todd's cries, but Todd says it's okay. He still pulled one over on Dr. Goldfoot because he signed the name on the power attorney line, as Craig's name, not his own name. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so there's no way for them to get money. Because yeah. Craig had none. Right. <laughs> so one more time, Craig attempts to convince Uncle Donald that something is going on, even bringing Todd to back up his claims. But again, there's no convincing the uncle. So then Craig and Todd head to the Dr. Goldfoot's mortuary, not sure why, where they soon are caught up by the doctor and his assistant. So they get caught. Right, of course. But Dr. Goldfoot, as all... You know, evil doers must do has to tell his entire plan <laughs> yeah. to Craig and Todd. Yeah. So 
he shows the two his bikini machine and kind of go, walks through why he's making them and his goal of getting all the money and cash from ever. And then he has them sit down for dinner. He serves, and all the robots serve them dinner with Diane in attendance. Although she can only speak and understand Japanese now. They've okay. changed her yeah. programming. So after dinner, Goldfoot then attempts to get Todd to sign the forms giving him power of attorney. But Todd still refuses. And they keep threatening to, um, to torture him. But it's just ridiculous because they never actually get to the torturing part at yeah. all. They just they threaten over and over again. And it's and lots of selliness. Right. I mean, it's buffoonery. <laughs> right. So then uh, Dr. Goldfoot's like, okay, fine. You're not going to sign. I'm going to do the worst thing possible. I'm going to lower this large, swinging, sharp pendulum over to cut you in half slowly. <laughs> <laughs> And he's it was a, pretty funny. Yeah, and he's, he's actually lowering it slowly, like, like saying, you're, you're, "Like manually." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you going to sign? Are you going to sign? And uh, with like evil laughs right. and stuff, like he's funny. And then they had put Craig in a little prison thing, but he tricks Igor into accidentally locking <laughs> Igor himself in oh the gosh. prison, so Craig is free. <laughs> so he rescues Todd from Doctor Goldfoot. They take off in the doctor's Cadillac. And then Goldfoot and Igor are in hot pursuit in a motorcycle and a sidecar. So this then leads to this long oh chase scene all over San Francisco. Oh it was yeah. so long. I had time to go for a drink, <laughs> drink some of it, come back out, do some stuff in the kitchen, when go back in. When you say pour a drink, it makes you sound like... No. <laughs> I mean, she needed a, a stiff drink. To get through this chase yeah. scene. Snapple. It, it was Snapple. So if Please you're interested snapple. in San Francisco in the early 60s and what it looked like, watch the chase scene. <laughs> Don't watch the chase. Just the scenery around right, it. Because right. they actually go through like all the streets and all the classic places. Oh over the so bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge. Every single one. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. They do. So eventually they get onto this um, military base. That seems to happen so many times in these movies. And... They trick Dr. Goldfoot and Igor to drive off a cliff with their car, and they land on the beach, like, down this cliff, and then it happens to be these naval practice grounds where they're shooting, launching missiles right at that location. So then they get blown up, and their vehicles are destroyed. So in the aftermath, Todd feels that he and Craig should go on a vacation. The two decide to jet off to Paris. However, once they are airborne, they are shocked by three things. One, Diane is on board and is a stewardess. Two, Craig's Uncle Donald is on board and is supposedly in a relationship with Diane. Three, Dr. Goldfoot and Igor can be seen chuckling maniacally from the cockpit door. Oh my goodness. And that's how they end. (laughs) Yes, that's how it ends. So obviously this was based on uh, James Bond, which was super popular in the 60s. This was originally supposed to have some musical interludes uh, with the concept being James Bond meets a beach party, but there was no music in this one yeah. at all. The first one we've seen with zero music. Oh yeah, that's true. Yep. It kind of seemed like almost like a James Bond beach and Frankenstein. Exactly. It yeah. kind of had that like... The, yeah, the, because Igor was reanimated. They were yeah. creating things. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, so... And Igor wasn't a robot. He was, no, he, he was, was reanimated person, yeah. from the... He had died and been re- reanimated, he yeah. said. Oh. So, this was made on a record high budget for the American International Pictures, the, the um, 
group that created all the beach party movies, but also created a lot of the old horror movies. Uh, this was the first ever AIP film to have a budget over $1 million. Wow. It began filming in the late summer of 65. It was shot on location in San Francisco and other places. It was released in November of 65. So again, it doesn't take long to make these films. Yeah. <laughs> um, and met with good financial success in America, taking in over $2 million at the box office. It was, however, an even bigger hit in Europe and especially popular in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So they really made I wonder if AIP was very popular in Italy. Like if it was known. In general. If they, because Italy during the 60s and 70s was kind of a hot spot of horror in the Mm. world. Italian horror movies were extremely popular. So if AIP was putting out horror films, it might have been a production company that was very popular in Italy anyways. In England, the movie was retitled Dr. G and the Bikini Machine because there were two actual doctors in the country who had the name Dr. Goldfoot. (laughs) So that's funny. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yes. This movie, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, was popular enough to merit an actual sequel made the following year called Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. (laughs) <laughs> and there is even a Dr. Goldfoot TV special made for ABC called The Wild Weird World of Dr. Goldfoot, which incorporated scenes from the movie. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. Vincent Price, who was the legendary horror movie icon, was recruited to lead the title role. He'd been in several of the AIP movies. And in fact, the dungeon and torture scene in the movie actually incorporated a long shot of Vincent from his 1961 AIP film, The Pit and the Pendulum. Oh. Mm. He did a good job. Yep. Frankie Avalon and Dwayne Hickman, who are the two stars, starred in Ski Party as well. But they actually switched their um, names. So Frankie's name and Dwayne's name in the Ski Party flip-flopped. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So what's the Ski Party? Oh, that's another beach party movie. Oh, okay. One that we haven't seen. No, we haven't. We didn't watch that one. Okay. Another interesting little cameo bit was a certain someone appeared as a girl locked in medieval stocks in Goldfoot's lair. Frankie, who's playing Craig, lifts up her head and looks to the camera and says, It can't be. Who is it? And that Funicello <laughs> is locked in the basement. <laughs> she was actually pregnant with her first child at the time. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Another appearance was made by none other than Harvey Lembeck as Eric Von Zipper. Yeah, he was enchained in the in the dungeon on his motorcycle. Yep. <laughs> they open the door and he's revving the motorcycle, but he can't go anywhere because of all the chains. And he said something like. Why is it always me? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, why does it always happen to me or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's really funny. It's yes. just a cute little nod to the former movies. Yes. So, a very fun movie, silly movie. Again, they've learned the lesson of not having a bunch of subplots. Kind of focused on the main plot. Yeah. I thought it was funny. It was cute. cute. Yeah. I could have done with, you know, much less chase scene. Well, but... they haven't learned that yet because right. every time we've had a chase scene in one of these movies, it's it is so way long. too long. Yeah. And a lot of those comedic tropes during it, like at one point the motorcycle and the sidecar separate, but they can drive separately of course, right. and they come, come back, back together. together. The things you expect. Classic. Yes. But I wondered at the time when they do this, I wondered at the time this must have been a popular thing to do. 
Yeah, I guess. Or or some of those things I would think they were creating. Right. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to know that. So, let's move on from something that's obviously very silly to something that's way more serious. Okay. (laughs) The, uh, The Christmas horror film, Santa's Sleigh, and that's S-L-A-Y. I'm the only one in my family, to my knowledge, who's a fan of horror films. Because they're terrible. Virtually any form that they come in. And there have been Christmas horror films before. Black Christmas was the first slasher film ever, not just only the first Christmas-themed horror film. And there are other ones like Silent Night, the infamous... Jack Frost with the sentient snowman. It's the only one I've watched of the ones you've mentioned so far. Yep. Also the worst of the ones I've yeah, mentioned really so bad. far. It was very bad. <laughs> so when I heard about Santa's sleigh and I read a little bit of the premise, I expected it to at least be a horror film, even if it was a bad one. Jack Frost was trying to be a horror film. It seems like Santa's sleigh was miscast as a horror film. But I'll get into why. So the film opens up with a dysfunctional family dinner of a lot of well-known actors, including James Caan, Chris Kattan, and Fran Drescher. Okay. That's funny. No names? Um, Yeah, among others. All Jewish actors, intentionally. Okay. (laughs) There was about eight of them around the table. And just a very dysfunctional family. They're all being angry at each other. James Conn was complaining about how dry the turkey was last year. Um, (laughs) Two married people were trying, were kind of getting romantic with each other. People who were not married to each other. (laughs) One of them being uh, Chris Kattan. And there's a little, like, poofy dog in a Christmas sweater that's, like, has a little, um, like, cushion that it's on. So obviously, like... James Caan is annoyed by the little dog who's... Pampered. Who's pampered. Yeah. Yeah. Then at one point, they hear, in the midst of their arguing, they hear footsteps or bumping around on the roof, and the little dog comes running over to the fireplace and starts yelping, like, barking at it, yipping at it. Then we hear a sliding sound, and two big Santa boots appear in the fireplace, and then... We see Santa smash through the stone fireplace, and the whole family stops arguing and is staring at him, shocked. Because the Santa Claus is played by Bill Goldberg, who was a well-known wrestler. (laughs) So he has a big, like, deep wrestler voice, and a, a Santa suit that kind of looks like... Makes him look like a Viking. Kind of <laughs> he has like a Santa hat that looks more like a helmet. Okay. So he kicks the little dog and it flies oh. up into the fan and goes flying across the room. And the matriarch of the house, Virginia, played by Fran Drescher, demonstrates stellar acting when she sees Santa for the first time. She responds with, Santa! Yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. So, Santa proceeds to, in increasingly more creative ways, 
kill all of the members of this family. <laughs> At one point, he drowns someone in eggnog. He stuffs the turkey down James Khan's throat until he dies. An actually pretty funny scene grabs a big wooden, like, bat, and it pulls it up towards one of them, and she says, I've been good! And then she he hits her on the head with it, and she <laughs> goes down. And then, like, takes a big swig of something, and then lights a match and breathes, fire breathes into someone else. Oh my gosh. And it's just a completely ridiculous sequence set to the, like, a super upbeat Nutcracker Sweet song. So then it opens up with the title card of Santa's Sleigh. Wait, that's just the opening sequence? That is the opening sequence. <laughs> oh, my oh my goodness. So riding on his sleigh, driven by his hell deer, which is a white buffalo with a glowing red nose, oh my gosh. Santa arrives at Hell Township. And decimates the locals in various holiday-themed ways. Uh, in one of the ways, Santa slaughters the occupants of a local strip club by pulling a hot coal out of his pocket and saying, Naughty! And then throwing it and burning the place down. <laughs> okay. Like, strangles someone with a wreath. And he always, he's a wrestler, so like, he strangles the guy with a wreath, then picks him up over his head and... Throws him, like, into a garbage can. Now, is he only uh, doing that to naughty people? No, he's doing it to everyone. Oh. I'll explain why. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, meanwhile, while all of this is going on, teenager Nicholas Yulson is living with his crazy grandfather, who's a crackpot inventor and has built a bunker in their basement to survive Christmas. He's always complaining about his grandfather, how his grandfather doesn't like Christmas. Which is funny because his grandfather is like the most charming character in the entire movie. He's not like, they didn't try to make him a grouch or anything like Mm. that. Um, He's just this fun little old man. So his grandfather has built this bunker to try to survive Christmas. And when Nicholas asks why Grandpa hates Christmas, he is shown the Book of Claus, which reveals (laughs) the origins of Santa Claus. Apparently, there were two immaculate births in history, one of which was... Mary and Jesus, and the other was a Norwegian woman named Erica and Santa Claus, who is the child of Satan. <laughs> that means that Santa is somewhat of an antichrist. Christmas was the day of slaying for Santa until 1005 AD, when an angel defeated him in a curling match and sentenced him to deliver presents on Christmas for 1,000 years. <laughs> this means that Santa is free to kill again in 2005, when there's, where this movie is set. Oh ah. So, the idea was that Christmas was originally the day when Santa would go around slaying people, but all the people came together to have a mass of Christ to pray for protection, so it ended up being the Christ Mass, because they... Oh, uh, that's how it got. Okay. Yes, that's, that's how it got its name. This is very much an alternative history. It is very alternative history. Nicholas's employer, Mister Green, is murdered by Santa Claus, and Nicholas shows up and is horrified by the murder and tries to help his employer out, who's clearly dead. But then his employer opens his eyes and is like, "It's Santa." <laughs> and he's like, oh wow, my crazy grandfather was right. 
So then the police arrive and for some reason arrest Nicholas and just some Amish people that happened to be standing outside. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. And it was very clear. Nicholas is like a small boy. And Mr. Green was like suspended up on the wall, killed in a way that was very clearly not able to be done by this boy. But he's bailed out by his sort of girlfriend, Mary, just before Santa arrives and kills all of the officers. And one of them, you know, like, little flags that they put on maps to indicate, like, where, yeah. like one of them has been killed, and there's little flags in the shape <laughs> of a Christmas tree on him <sighs> that have been stabbed into him. <laughs> all of these are very holiday-themed deaths, oh. for the most part. There's one point that Santa pulls up to a building that's valeted, and he gives the keys to his sleigh and his hell deer to the valet, who then we see Santa come out later and the hell deer is chewing on the valet's hat, which indicates that he got right. eaten, probably. Right. <laughs> probably. So the two teens are hiding from Santa Claus and they go back to Grandpa's house okay. and hide in the bunker. And the Grandpa's like, oh, he didn't follow you, did he? But they're like, uh, yeah. probably. on the security cameras that are in these bunkers they see a bunch of carolers come up to their house and mary with her good heart runs up and tries to warn them about santa claus but just as she gets there and opens the door santa claus arrives and just like tosses the carolers around so he runs down and the bunker the anti-santa bunker that grandpa made did not work well because they managed, they managed to escape through a back door to some snowmobiles that Grandpa had ready. <laughs> but it took about three punches before Santa knocked the solid metal door in. Oh, wow. And came after them. So then there was a, I have a feeling, much more entertaining chase scene than the right. one in your movie. Because <laughs> they were riding around on their snowmobile and Santa was up in his sleigh with his hell deer whose nose was bright red, shining the way as Santa threw explosive presents oh. <laughs> at the two teenagers in their snowmobile. Goodness. So the two teenagers take cover in a local high school where, for some reason, like, Santa's following them around, and he takes off his big red coat. So he's just, like, in a gray, undersh- like, sleeveless undershirt with his big ripped Santa arms. Looks much more like a wrestler in that, in that kind of scene yeah. with his overalls. And he's got, like, the really deep voice if you uh, know who Bill Goldberg is at all. But for some reason, they decide to hide on an ice rink okay. in the school. Super open. Yeah. Like, on the ice rink itself. Yeah. So, of course, Santa shows up. On a Zamboni. (laughs) Going much faster than Zambonis actually go. (laughs) And chases them around for a while. Uh, And on their way out, Grandpa was run over by Santa's (laughs) hell deer. And his reaction, of course, was, Oh, uh, Grandpa got run over by a reindeer. (laughs) They make bad puns and bad jokes throughout the entire movie. Just as they're about to be killed by Santa on the Zamboni, they're saved by Grandpa who has thrown a magical curling rock in front of the Zamboni. Grandpa is actually the angel that tricked Santa into being nice for a thousand years. So he tries to make another wager with Santa, where if he wins, Santa is nice for good. 
and if Santa wins, Grandpa is doomed to an eternity of suffering. So they open up a hole to hell in the ice rink, and this time, rather than following the rules, Santa just grabs Grandpa and throws him into the hole, and then flees on his sleigh. Yeah, I don't know. Because it, when it's midnight, Santa loses his satanic powers. Oh. For some arbitrary right, reason. Right, he's good yeah. Yeah, there's no real reason for it. And there's this ongoing joke with Mary that her dad is like a hunter. Because she's always like, she brought like raw wolverine meat as a gift over to Grandpa. <laughs> so there's like, like this ongoing joke about this. So then they go to... Her brother, who's never been mentioned before, <laughs> but she's like, oh, this is my brother. No, we're oh. like, okay. And all of his friends who are all out, like, just a random group of characters. There's, like, a Native American man who can only speak through, like, a voice box. Okay. Um, for no real reason. That's pretty random. Okay. Yep. And Nicholas runs up to this group, and he's like, how would you guys like to... Shoot the first bird deer. And we were like, what is a bird deer? And then it was like, finally like, oh, like a flying deer. And then they were like, sure, we'll do it. So then they all (laughs) go out into the snow and wait for Santa to pass on his sleigh. Mm -hmm. And then they all open fire on Santa. (laughs) It doesn't seem to be working until a bazooka shot flies from behind (laughs) them and blows up the sleigh. Oh, wow. And we turn around and Mary's like, Hi, Daddy. And he's just standing there with a bazooka. And he's like, hi, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, so, That's funny. Uh, everything, like the sleigh falls to the ground. The hell deer giant white buffalo is dead. But the Santa that falls out of the sleigh, it, re- it was revealed, was the crooked Pastor Timmons in a Santa suit, who we saw earlier at the strip joint. That oh. Santa burned down. So um, Santa, like, stuck him in the sleigh? Santa stuck him in the sleigh. As a oh. decoy. As a decoy, yep. So then we see the real Santa Claus boarding a flight to Winnipeg to the North Pole. And after the credits, Santa is seen looking over his naughty list when he looks to the camera and says, Who's next? Oh, wow. So it is a riot of a movie. It is not a scary movie. I expected them to at least try. It doesn't seem like they tried to make it scary. There's the flashback sequence where it shows the angel and Santa doing their curling contest for the thousand years of. Is shot in a Rankin-Bass style, (laughs) like little, like Animagic kind of thing. (laughs) So the elves are shown as these little demon things. Uh Santa Claus is so enraged when he loses that he like throws his head back and breathes like cartoon fire into the air. It's a ridiculous wow. romp. I can see why you like this. Yeah. So funny. Because it has a Rankin Bass piece in it that you love It so does. Much. I love Rankin Bass. Yeah. Um, but it is entertaining. It's the main thing. It's rated R. None of the gore is realistic, but it's just very violent. Yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, and it has some adult themes in it. Uh, but it's... Very entertaining, very dumb movie. Right. Very self-consciously dumb movie. And kind of the same, like, in kind of like the Austin Powers kind of self-aware silliness. It's not 
an intellectual movie. It's not trying to be... It, <laughs> or, or really a scary movie. Or, or really a scary anything. movie. It yeah. knows exactly what it is. Yeah. And because of that, it can do what it does really well. Yeah. And in a really entertaining way. So definitely, if you're a fan of, I guess, silly violent romps <laughs> or pro wrestlers... This is for you. <laughs> or even just the holidays, there's a lot of holiday music... That's Very upbeat holiday music. So the soundtrack would be great. The soundtrack would be great. <laughs> very violent, um, cut with very violent scenes. Yes. Yeah, right. um, but there's nothing about the movie that's really mean-spirited. Yeah. It's all kind of in good fun, which is the thing that I think I enjoyed most about the movie. Cool. That's so funny. So the future festivities are for the week of August 17th. August 17th is National Nonprofit Day. August 18th, National Fajita Day. August 19th, World Photo Day. August 20th, World Mosquito Day. Boo. Oh. <laughs> Not a fan. August 21st, National Senior Citizens Day. Oh, look, you guys. No. August 22nd is National Bow Day. August 23rd is National Ride the Wind Day. You can always follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, we are at holiday moons, all one word. On Facebook, you can find us by searching holiday moons in the search bar. <laughs> Our cat is gracing us with her presence. A serenade. Yes. On Facebook, you can find us by searching holiday moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page, and you can email us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Sydney, Randy, Cole, and Beth, happy, happy summer! summer.